Um, we're looking at the book of James today. If you'll turn to chapter one, and I'll let you know, first hour people, you have an opportunity to go to discussion questions. We have a wonderful host uh, in the education building. That's kind of straight across. It's the ugly one-story building. We call it ugly two. Uh, and there's discussion time together. Get to meet people and see how you might apply today's passage. Uh, we're in James chapter one. When uh, my son Ryan was playing uh, lacrosse in college, his senior year, he, they were playing a team that was well below their team's talent and skill levels. And anyway, Ryan uh, plays defense, He's, and w- one of the uh, opposing team's attack men was making a run for the goal. And so Ryan kind of did this, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, a low-reward, high-risk, low-reward, what's called overhead check. And that overhead check uh, gave birth to a score. The player went on to score a goal, and then Ryan was able to get a penalty, which meant he went into uh, a penalty box. And while all of that was happening, uh, his, his, Ryan's coach was, just came absolutely unglued. I mean, he's screaming at Ryan from the sidelines as it's happening because the coach could see it happen in slow motion. That's what, you know, coaches do that. And when <laughs> Ryan had to walk by the coach to get to the penalty box. And so the coach grabs Ryan by the face mask and, and screams into his face, spittle, that kind of thing, and just yelled at him. It's like, what are you doing? You're playing like a freshman. Now, the reason he said that and the reason he was so upset is when Ryan showed up to the team four years earlier, he had all these freshman high school style moves. They don't work in college lacrosse. <laughs> and Coach had worked uh, to uh, break him of those bad habits, to beat that kind of playing out of him, drilling him so that he wouldn't be tempted to go for high risk, little reward, very low reward, what's it called again? Overhead check on the way into the goal. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because we, when we look at the book of James, you need to understand James, not just those, today's lessons for sure, but coaches' super animated display here, uh, that's called coach speech. And you need to know that that coach, he loved and respected Ryan. As a matter of fact, they have an award they give out every year, the, the best player of the year, the best team member of the year, and it's called the Ryan Cassidy Award. They renamed it after him. It's his jersey. That's the plaque. So there's no doubt about love or respect. That's just coach speech. That's the way a lot of coaches speech. And grabbing face masks and screaming at you, that's, that's kind of the tone of what's happening here uh, in James. And you need to know that to understand kind of the deeper meaning, not just what this book says, but the, what it means. And, and know this about James. He, he's going to be... He's going to be showing a great deal of love and respect in this book. He's going to say brothers, and we would say brothers and sisters, and sometimes beloved brothers, more than any author in the New Testament. And then his style is going to be yelling. He's going to use in, in grammar called imperatives more than anyone in the Bible. It's so, it's so saturated in, in his writings. It's one imperative for every two verses. He's coach. He's yelling. And I want you to feel the passion because part of the meaning is in that passion because he's going to be grabbing us by the face mask and yelling and wondering why we don't know better. We're playing like freshmen. 
He's trying to scare us sober because it's, what he's talking about is true. Now, in the book of James, he's talking about the nature of faith more so than any other writer. He's going to talk about how to mature in faith. And if you ask the question, what does that even mean? What does faith mean? You should have been here last week. Here's uh, the, the notes from last week that when we say we have faith or trust in Yahweh, we're saying in the promises of the character and the nature of Yahweh, the God of the Bible, that he is both good and sovereign. We just sang, holy, holy, Lord Almighty, that's sovereign, good and gracious king. And when we act in faith, when we are acting in obedience, we're doing what Jesus tells us to do, especially during difficult times, we're proving, independent of circumstances, that we believe that God is good and that God is powerful and sovereign. And so maturity is in the context of last week, which is important, that in difficult times when we encounter various trials, we especially are committed to persevering, perseverance. And this week, James is going to add temptations in the context of trials because they're often walking hand in hand together. When they're trials, they're usually coming at the end of some temptation, or trials precedes temptations. What's the uh, old saying? Uh, fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. So in the, t- in the context of fatigue, we're trying to persevere. Here comes trials. And the last two years, we have had various trials, haven't we? We've been inundated by them. And addictions of various kinds that went up in 2020 have not receded. In other words, what once were vices are now habits. And it's because we've gotten used to that. And so today's lesson is especially important to people living in this time and this place. He's talking to us and he's saying, do not fall into temptation. Do not sin, especially in times of various trials. Now today, I think there's somewhat of a simple outline that he works. He wants us to make sure he under, we understand the clarity of this message. So it's three simple points. The first is he's going to talk, talk about the source of temptation And then he's going to help us avoid temptation by telling us the steps or stages in temptation. And then finally, he's going to give us a solution to overcoming temptation. Okay? All right. Here's the first one, the source of temptation. He's going to tell us where it's not, and then he's going to tell us what it is. This is chapter 1, verses uh, 13 and 14, I think. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desires. So the first point is, is where temptation does not come from. It does not come from Yahweh. And this is like the oldest excuse in the book. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden that serves as a template for most temptations or excuses. When in Genesis chapter 3, Adam is caught in the context of sin and his excuse, uh, it was the woman that you gave me, Lord, Goes to Eve. Well, Eve, what's your excuse? Well, it was the serpent that you made, Lord. (laughs) That's implied there. And they're just always, like, we're just going to always push this somehow on God. And whatever whatever it is, he he made me do it. It It was the parents that you gave me. It was the way that you made me, Lord. It was the opportunities that I didn't have, and you're in charge, Lord. It's a 
It's just so simple and common, so much so that in classic Greek literature, the Odyssey of Homer, Zeus is complaining about getting blamed for everything. He says, it is, uh, it is incredible how easily human beings blame the gods and believe us to be the source of their troubles when it's their own wickedness and their own stupidity that brings them up upon sorrow after sorrow, more severe than any of the things that the gods assigned to them. <laughs> so Zeus is complaining about this. But the reason James is telling us not to blame God for our failings or even our temptations, the temptation itself is just based on logic. He's just saying God, Yahweh doesn't even have the capacity to be involved in temptation that leads to sin. It says, God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. Cannot be tempted means it's not within his nature. It's like God can't be evil or do evil. God can't be involved in temptation that leads to sin. He can't even participate in it. Why? Because going back to the summary of the attributes of God, he is good, pure good, and love. He is sovereign and in control and doesn't bring evil into our lives. So, if God isn't the source of our temptations, what is? Solomon said it succinctly and reviews our passage here. He says, a man's own folly ruins him, and yet his heart rages against Yahweh somehow. And James, he'll say in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desires. Now, I hope you're like watching the picture, the vivid and graphic picture that James is painting here. He's talking about hunting. He's talking about tramp, trapping and hunting and killing. And James is saying, again, with passion, like a coach, watching something happen in slow motion, and he's saying, Look, if you fall into this, your own desires, you're, you're going to end up as the devil's dinner and your head will be on his wall later tonight as a trophy. He's not playing games in this whole passage here. And he's talking about hunting. And hunting, the temptation part, starts with the bait of your own desires. Your very own, each person's own desires. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear the words that he chooses here. He's talking about a custom-made bait for you, which is different than for me. He, what, what, what does not tempt you at all, I'm a sucker for every time. One man's oatmeal raisin cookie is another man's chocolate chip. And the, the point here is, is it's designed, this bait, this, this, this desire is based on maybe our bents of the way we're made or the way we're raised or sometimes a series of choices where we just keep practicing doing dumb things. And the point is it doesn't matter because the standards of God remains consistent. And, and it's just like it doesn't, whether you're wired this way or what your personality, your temperament, your circumstances, those things, independent of this, do not be consumed by these desires. This book is the very, James, is the very definition of what is right and real and true. It's the rock. It's the anchor that doesn't move. All these other things are variables. It's not 
trials, it's how we respond to trials. It's not temptation, it's how we respond to temptation. And so the first little bit of application here is, one, our temptations do not come from Yahweh. They can't. It's impossible. Not the ones that lead to sin. And the second one is, is that, that the bait that's going to lure us in is customized for me. There's another one that's customized for you, and it's based on our desires. So the second part is talking about, uh, James is going to show us, like, how temptation works, the steps in temptation. And he's going to do this to help us avoid it. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 14 again. He said, when we are lured away and we are enticed by our, our own desires. Lured away and enticed. So temptation comes not by the situation of the temptation, but it's rather our response to it, choosing to be lured away and enticed. There's a moment in time when the temptation comes, in, comes to us, it's part of our desires, and we choose. Okay, let's see where this goes. <laughs> what could happen? And let me just talk about briefly the, kind of the attributes of, of bait, like what it is and, and what it's for. The nature of bait in the context of hunting, which is what we're talking about here, is, is to first grab you by your desire to lure you away from safety. And while it's like grabbing your desire, it's hiding the obvious <laughs> agent of death that it is. So expose the bait, hide the trap. And why is that happening? Again, why are we exposing the bait? Because it's trying to lure you away from various expressions of safety. Lure you like out of the woods or out, out of the brush, out of some kind of cave that protects you, uh, away from your friends, away from the flock, away from your family. I'm going to get you safely out there. <laughs> the, the hunter knows, look, I can't beat you where it's fair. I've got to get you out where I can win. It's to lure you out away from safety at the same time where it doesn't look like death. And people, like, it didn't look like sin to me. It looked like, it looked like popularity. It, it looked like some kind of satisfaction in life. It didn't look like sin. It looked like, I don't know, me just kind of being me. Didn't look like death. It looked like me just trying to go along and be liked. Looked like a relief from pressure. It looked like fun. <laughs> and then there's always... She looked good to me. There's always that one. It just looked good. So in deer, in deer hunting, you encounter various trials like a drought. Deer start doing stuff they wouldn't do normally. And then a bait is set out away from safety to lure that big buck into a clear shot. He's going to bend down and eat that corn you've been spreading out there. And that corn will be his last meal. Before he hears the boom, he'll be tonight's dinner and later on someone's wall. He'll be a trophy. And James is saying, Satan, the world itself, sources of temptation, they're preparing a bait for you and for me. He's going to put you in the perfect time or the perfect place or wait for that to happen and then pounce on you. The shortest MMA fight in UFC history lasted one, two, 
three seconds. Three seconds. Here's how, it's, here's how it all occurred. Ben Askren is, used to be a four-time Division I wrestling champion. Now, he wasn't champion four times. He was in the championship four times. He won the last two years, his junior, senior year. He won the national championships, and, and in that, he won what would be uh, the, uh, the Heisman Trophy two times. And he was only the second wrestler to ever win the wrestling version of the Heisman Trophy twice. He, 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 he was a national champion. He was on the Olympic, 2008 Olympic team. His MMA record was 18 and zero. He'd never lost. He never lost wrestling in two years, his last two years of college. And then he ends up going against George Masvidal. I'm going to say George a lot. I don't know how to say this guy's last. He's 30, 30, 33 and 13. And here's how the fight started. It'll take me long to explain it, then the fight actually asked it. George was leaning against the cage right before the bell rang with his arms behind his back, just leaning. Now, Ben was like setting up sprinting blocks. He was going to race across the, the, uh, the cage, and he knew that. And then when the bell rang, Ben did what Ben did. I mean, he's a Division I champion twice. And he shoots in, runs as fast as he can, shoots in for a double leg takedown. And, and George just kind of like skips three times and then raises his knee up. And Ben dove into that knee. He was unconscious before he hit the ground. That took three seconds. It took another two seconds to the ref come over and save him. <laughs> and so the whole fight lasted five seconds total. Years of training, it lasted five seconds. <laughs> Askren, he went to the hospital. George, he went to the bank with a $50,000 bonus, for the best fight and fastest takedown or win in UFC history. He's like, like, what happened? Why did it happen? How did that happen? Here's what happened. George's coach, his name was Mike Brown, he'd studied Ben's game films for months and came up with the flying knee as a defense. And they, they, showed, they showed films afterwards of, of George practicing the flying knee months and months in advance of that fight. Then they cut to the warm-up session right before he went out to the arena, and he's doing the flying knee. He knew it was going to happen, and the whole thing was set up. Here's what, here's what uh, Masvalad said in his post-fight interview. Askren fell for the bait. Coach James is telling us, Satan has been watching our game films. He knows, of course, what we're gonna do when we're weak. He knows our vulnerabilities. He knows what happens when we get cocky about what we're good at, like double leg takedowns. Doesn't matter to him. He is reading us, he is plotting, he's conniving, he's setting bait, and he's setting the bait to lure us away from our safety. He's gonna use our personal desires. He won't be using asparagus anyone. He's going to play to the part that just lures you out every time. And he's like, this is why he's in this like coaching model where he's just saying like an ox going to the slaughter. You don't even know what's happening to you. So kind of like wake up. <laughs> James says, look, this is the source. Let's talk about the source of temptation. Then he's going to stop and he's going to, this is like the steps of temptation. And then he's going to, Give us two reasons not to involve ourselves in temptation, not to be lured out. He's going to give us two reasons. The first one is negative, and that 
inspiration is scary, <laughs> and then he's going to give us a positive one, a motivation to inspire us. And what's, this is like the solutions of overcoming temptation. Now, I, here's what I want you to listen for when we read this passage. Because he's, he's, he's leaving the, the hunting metaphor, and now he's going, believe it or not, to like uh, an OVR our hist- our hospital delivery room. He's going to say, look, there's, there's a baby. There's two babies to choose from. What do you want to be known for? There's this baby of falling into temptation, sin, this baby of death, or do you want to be identified as a baby of life? But he says, choose, choose your baby. <laughs> choose death or choose life. Look what he says in 14 and 15. 14 helps us with the context. But each person is tempted uh, when he's lured away and he's enticed by his own desires. And when the desires have been conceived, that gives birth to sin. And then when, see, when, when sin is, is, uh, it is fully grown, it, it gives birth to death. Says it clearly, doesn't he? Not a lot to explain. When our desires are entertained and they are succumbed to and they're surrendered, there's a conception there. And that conception gives birth to sin. And when that sin is nurtured and when that sin is kept and when that sin is matured and grows up, it gives birth. It gives birth to death. We have another baby and it's death. And the death here, it's, uh, it's not physical death or else we'd all be dead. It's not a spiritual death because he keeps talking to us brothers and sisters. So it's not like we lose our covenant relationship with our king, but rather it is this death-like ex- existence. Here's some great like, pictures. Uh, Max Lucado writes about this kind of death. Guilt creeps in like on cat's paws and then steals whatever joy that we might have flickering in our eyes. Confidence is replaced by doubt. Honesty is elbowed out by rationalization. Exit peace. Enter turmoil. David was enticed and gave in to his desires and then let them nurture and grow, and they gave birth to spiritual, or not spiritual death, but it's like his death-like experience. He writes about it in Psalm 32 when he, did, he chose not to repent. It says, When I kept silent in my sin, my body wasted away. My vitality was drained as with a fever of the heat of the summer. Jesus would say, it's the death of the promise that I gave you to have the abundant life. Jesus offers us a life, a life of abundance, and this will kill that. Look how James uses the most beautiful human experience, childbearing birth a little baby here and he turns it into something horrible he's trying to shock us it's supposed to bother us it is to make us nauseous <laughs> it's, he, he's, he's a coach here he, he comes up into our bassinet and says what what do you have there that has your name written all over it and you open it up and it's death darkness evil and you turn away like how does this happen it's a horror movie and he tells us this, not from hyperbole or exaggeration. James says this because this is true. Choose this if you want. 
And that's why, that's why James, you're supposed to feel this because of the number of, you're, you're supposed to feel him grabbing your helmet by the face mask and yelling, why are you playing like a freshman? You're supposed to know this. You should break the spell now before you surrender to these desires, before you're lured away. You should be afraid here. You should be afraid of the drawing that's pulling you out, drawing you out to a place of weakness. He's saying, wake up, wake up. Look what he says in verse 16. Do not be deceived. And look, my beloved brothers, do not believe my, be deceived, my beloved brothers, about sin. <laughs> there's an old, there's a saying that some of you might know, it's somewhat of a poem, right? That sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will make you pay more than you thought would it cost. Sin is going to hold you longer than you can endure. And James here is saying, with all that in mind, don't be blindsided. You know better now. You know the source of, of sin and temptation, and you, and you know the stage of this. And he's saying, my beloved brothers and sisters. And today, he, was like, he would say something like, you, you play stupid games you win stupid prizes. I mean, we know, we know the joke of like, hold my beer is code for physics don't apply to me. Watch this, right? Well, people in the church say, here, hold my Bible. I'm going to go do something that no one should be doing. Jane would say, everything happens for a reason. And some reason is because you're gullible and make stupid choices. You should know better, he's saying. Look, James saying it's a trap. It's, look at the bait that's been set here. He's saying you should have never been here in the first place. You're playing like a freshman, and we're so far into the season. This should be trained out of you. Do not be deceived. James is saying don't fight in an area where you can't win your own desires. Don't fight in an area where you can't win in your own desires. There's an old 70s movie that I like, I think I like. I haven't seen it in a long time, so I'm not recommending it. Um, you know how that goes, right? Come on, kids, let's watch this movie. What? Um, but it's called The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. And I think uh, it's fun because Paul Newman's in it. And, but anyway, it's about an old West Texas judge really a person called Judge Roy Bean. And there's this one section in there where, where Bad Bob, you know, the, like the notorious Bad Bob, he's the meanest hombre in all the West. And he shows up. He's crazy looking. Okay, there he is. And he comes and he's going to kill Judge Roy Bean. And he stands out in front of the courthouse, which is also the saloon, and starts to get, trying to get Judge Bean to come out. And like Bad Bob is a, the very fast draw, and he's a ruthless killer, and Judge Roy Bean has no chance against the ruthlessness of Bad Bob. He's the original Bad Bob, the meanest hombre in the West. And so Bob, because Bean isn't coming out, he's starting to, like, make fun of and call everything sacred to Judge Bean. He's mocking and reviling. And while he's, Bad Bob is waiting out there impatiently, the back door of that barn that's behind him opens up, that second floor, and Bean has a rifle with a scope on it and shoots him in the back, like graveyard dead. Just a few minutes later, he's down, Bean is down, and he's looking at the corpse, and one of the sheriffs comes over and says, well, judge, you, you never gave him a chance. 
And Bean said, nope, I never did. Who wants to go head-to-head with bad Bob? Who wants to go head-to-head with a desire, my own personal desire? James says, you know the source of temptation. It's you and your desires. You know the steps so you can stay away from those. So before you're lured away from safety, don't even entertain the desires. (laughs) If you don't go there, you can't get caught there. uh, The Star Wars gif, right? It's a trap. That's what, he's, that's what he's saying. Shoot it in the back. Never give it a chance. Or have yourself a grandchild. It'll be death. That's what James is saying here. And now he's going to break from all this scary stuff. And he's going to say, can I give you some reasons why you should commit to holiness and not give in to temptation that are positive? That maybe you'll see the birth that Yahweh has for us. And, 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 and it says in verse 16, uh, verse 16 is a pivot verse. He's saying, do not be deceived about sin. Do not be con- deceived about the nature of, of Yahweh. Look what he says. Do not be deceived, my, my beloved brothers, both. Every good, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadowing due to change. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he's created. So he's saying here, do not be deceived about this. The goodness of God, the sovereignty of God here. He said, don't be deceived about that. Every single good thing is from him. And so Paul, or I'm sorry, James is appealing to two reasons to want to obey God in the midst of temptation in sometimes the context of trials. It's because of the goodness of God, and it's because of the grace of God. He says the goodness of God, and he's contrasting the father of light to Satan is called the father of darkness. God is going to give, because he's good, he's going to give birth to life, and Satan gives birth to death. James says... Yahweh, the Father, is the, the Father of lights, of all lights. That's the idea of, again, just sovereign and loving. He, he created all the lights. He filled the star, his skies with stars. And even in the context of what we consider light, even that kind of casts shadows, he says, no, 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 no. God is so pure in his goodness, there can be no shadows. It's impossible. It's, it's every single good and perfect gift has to have its source in Yahweh God. That's his nature. That's what we're supposed to have our trust and our faith in during trials when we're being tempted. That's from Yahweh. Not only is his goodness our motive, but also his grace. That's when he's going to go into that section where he says, Yahweh gave us birth as we are first fruits of all of God's creation. Why stay pure? Because our rebirth, like we're born again, that's the nature, our spirits are born again, or rather our spirits are born from above. We're ignited in the, the, the intimacy with God because of what he has done for us, his grace. 
And now he piles on here by saying that we are first fruits. And the first fruits is kind of a reference to the Older Testament. First fruits were generally the, the best of the fruits that came out. And they were the ones that were dedicated unto the Lord. They belonged to Yahweh. They were his. And he's saying, we, when we're born again, we have that status. We're the best and we are belonging to him. So James is saying, look, you, you want to like, stay away from temptation? Stay close to the Father because you're born again. Because your identity is based on belonging to him. And when you look at those baited traps, hopefully they're just passing not enamoring you and pulled you away. When you look at those baits, you look and say, compared to what? Compared to what? James is saying compared, there's no comparison when you compare it to what God has and what God says is we are. That, that child he's talking about, life. And so during trials, he said, be dedicated to perseverance. When it comes to tr when temptations, he's saying, have an absolute passion to purity. And this coach is telling us that our hope and our faith, our trust in the goodness of God, his love for us, in the sovereignty of God. That means he has power, he has a plan for us, and he has the ability to execute that plan. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived about the power and the nature and the destiny of sin, and do not be deceived about the power and the nature and the destiny of Yahweh God. You have to choose what's the baby going to be that will be the identity of your existence here. Will it be death or will it be life? This author is screaming at us to choose life. James is going to talk to us throughout this book in pretty straightforward, easy-to-understand ways, like a coach. He's going to say, well, like an old hymn. Some of you know this one. Trust and obey. Just trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Just trust and obey. That's not hard to understand. <laughs> Sometimes it's very difficult to apply if we take our eyes off of Yahweh, if we take our eyes off the goodness of God and the power of God. Don't try to understand or make sense out of whatever's happening, but do not take your eyes off of that and be distracted by the desires of our own souls that will lure us away and have us living a way that won't glorify God and nothing we're going to be enjoying profound, clear messages today from our coach, James. I hope you hear him in his love and affection towards you. I hope you're seeing his passion by grabbing your face mask, <laughs> even having some spittle hit you while he's yelling, do not be deceived by the power of evil and the power of the love of Yahweh God. Let me close our time with a, some Proverbs that teach us these same things, and then I'll pray after that. If, you'll, if you wouldn't mind joining me, just 
All right, bow your heads and close your eyes. Here's some things from Solomon. The fear of the Lord, Yahweh, adds length to your life, but the years of the wicked, they're cut short. That baby is death. The truly righteous man attains life, but those who pursue evil will go to his death. The teachings of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. And he who obeys these instructions guards his life, and he who is contemptuous towards these, he will die. Lord, the signposts are all around us. So many times the word of God is absolutely clear. We try to rationalize and justify. It makes no matter. We're just quoting the devil himself to give us a license to be lured away in our desires. Lord, I'd ask that you would help us see this for what it is. You'd hear, we'd hear the word of God coming at us, maybe from the voice of James, screaming, what are we doing here in the first place? If we would shoot these desires in the back because we never had a chance facing them, then maybe we'd live a life It's more pleasurable, it's more righteous and holy, that glorifies you and doesn't lead to sin, that leads to death, but leads to glory. Lord, I'd ask that you would give us a passionate understanding for the panic that is in James's words, that we would persevere under trials and we'd be passionate about our purity and holiness. We pray this because you are our good and holy king who chose to love us so much that you gave your only son, that he would die so that we could live. We would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.